We've been voyaging through the Holy Land, not as an end in itself, but so as to derive life lessons from the Holy Land. We've gone to different places, and now let's go to a very beautiful place, Sea of Galilee. Adina, you were just there, I think. This little lady is from Israel, just got back from visiting friends and family. She's from Tel Aviv and was in Beersheba and was by the wall because a nephew had a bar mitzvah. Remember we spoke not too many weeks ago about how you can go have bar mitzvah day at the wall? Well, it actually happened. I bet it was quite a, quite a blessing. We're glad to have you here. Okay, so Sea of Galilee, perhaps one of the most beautiful bodies of water in the entire world, known by various names, Lake of uh, Gennesaret, Lake uh, Kinneret, which means uh, harp, because if you stand above it, sometimes when we go, we go on the Golan Heights and you could look down on it, you'll see it's harp-shaped if you use your imagination. It's wider at its northern spot. It gets a little narrower as it goes to the south, so it looks like a harp, Kinneret, Lake Kinneret. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias because this uh, ancient city, Tiberias, is located on its western shore. We call it the Sea of Galilee, but it really isn't technically a sea at all. It's a freshwater lake, but it's taken on the name Sea of Galilee because sometimes the conditions on it are just like it would be if you were in the midst of a storm out at the unbounded sea. It could be quite, quite turbulent on the Sea of Galilee. But it's really fresh water. In fact, it's Israel's largest freshwater lake. It's about 13 miles long, and it's about 8 miles wide at its widest point, And it could get quite stormy on it. It is uh, 682 feet below the level of the Mediterranean Sea. And that makes it the second lowest lake on the entire earth. Uh, Actually, the first lowest freshwater lake and the second lowest lake of all kinds. Uh, The number one lowest lake on the entire earth, uh, salt water, is, do you know what it is? It's the Dead Sea. So you see, Israel has the first lowest and the second lowest lake. This is the second lowest in the entire world. At its deepest point, it's 150 feet deep. It's um, relatively warm and thus a wonderful and attractive environment for many varieties of fish. In fact, uh, Those who are expert fishermen have identified over 23 varieties of fish in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Perhaps the most well-known is the one uh, given the name St. Peter's Fish, named after the Apostle Peter. Uh, When we go there, when everyone goes there, you can go to a kibbutz and you can sit down and uh, they'll feed you St. Peter's Fish. Fish. It's really like a tilapia. We get those over here, don't we? It's like a tilapia. In fact, do you remember the time when there was a discussion about taxation and 
What is Caesar's due? Do you remember when the Lord said to Peter, sink your fishing line into this body of water? It was the Sea of Galilee. And he extracted a fish and in its mouth was a coin. And the Lord was making a point. Uh, uh, pay your taxes with it. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. It's very likely that that particular fish with the shekel in its mouth was this tilapia, kind of a wide mouth sort of a, a fish. Uh, well, the Lord Jesus spent a lot of time around this body of water, preached many sermons and performed many miracles. In fact, of the 33 some odd recorded miracles of the Lord, 18 of the 33 took place either around or on the Sea of Galilee, not the least of which was the fact that he walked on it. That's not easy to do. It's good to try it once in a while and thus be reminded that there is only one God and you ain't he. He did it. We cannot do it. Sometimes when you go to Israel, they'll say, there'll be a church on a spot and they'll say, this is the traditional site of such and such. Maybe, but it's largely speculation. But when you're out on the Sea of Galilee, there's nothing speculative about it at all. This is the Sea of Galilee. It hasn't changed its position in 2,000 years, although it has changed. In 1986, for instance, there was a very severe drought which befell the land, and it rendered the water in the Sea of Galilee at one of its lowest points in all of human history. This provided quite a burden for the people of the land, but also an opportunity for archaeologists, professional and amateur. In fact, two relatively amateur archaeologists, brothers, fishermen from the kibbutz Ginosar uh, found there, as the waters went down, found stuck in the muddy water a boat. It's today known as the Jesus boat or the Sea of Galilee boat. It was carefully packaged and extracted from the mud after centuries and experts dated to the very time of the Lord Jesus. You can visit in Israel today and see it in a beautifully housed building, wonderfully preserved. And you can get an idea of the kind of fishing boat that the Lord and his disciples occupied while rowing, fishing, sailing on the Sea of Galilee. I was there one time and uh, our group went in an area to see a film uh, uh, about this uh, fishing boat. And I had seen it, so I was staying out in the hall, and I was hearing a man, an Israeli, having a conversation with someone, but, and it was in English, so I could, I could understand it. And if I, if I heard correctly what he was saying, he was one of the brothers who discovered that Jesus spoke. Well, I couldn't contain myself, so I went to him and I said, excuse me, did I hear you correctly? Are you one of the two who discovered this boat? And he said, he was quite friendly, he said, absolutely. The two brothers are Moshe and Yuval Lufan. This was one of them, I forgot which one. But I said to him, I don't know what possessed me, but I said to him, would you be willing to spend some time speaking to our group about your wonderful discovery? What could he do? Say no? I could live with no. I'm married. I get this all the time. So um, he said, 
Sure, I'm glad to. And the people there at this wonderful building gave us a meeting room. And I gathered up all of our crew. We sat there, and here comes in one of the Luvan brothers and shared with us magnificently how he made this wonderful discovery. It's very, very wonderful, but some take it a little too far, speculatively saying Jesus was in this boat. Come on, give me a break. Could he have been? Yeah, but we don't know this. This is just guesswork. You know why we don't know it? We couldn't afford to know it. We would worship the boat instead of the captain of the ship. So we don't know. What we do know is that's the kind of boat in which he rode and which was used in his day on the Sea of Galilee. Well, a wonderfully interesting incident occurred here. And it is recorded for us in Mark chapter 4. I'd love to direct your attention to it if you care to follow along. Mark chapter 4. It is written by Mark, and he's telling us lots of things about the life of the Messiah. And in this passage, as you turn there, we'll begin in verse 35. Mark is recording an event concerning the Lord, which took place on this Sea of Galilee, which you are now a little more familiar with. Here's what it says, Mark 4, verse 35. And on that day, when evening had come, he, that's the Lord, said to them, now the them are his special band of men, his followers, otherwise known as the disciples, 12, at least four of whom came from this very area. They fished here. They were fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. He said to them, let us go over over the Sea of Galilee to the other side. You see, he had been teaching multitudes on the west side. The teaching time on this day is over. So the Lord said, get in a boat. Let's go to the other side, to the east side. Undoubtedly, his followers are thinking, really good. Time for a little R&R a little rest and relaxation. We would think that as well. It's evening time. There's been a lot of activity going on. Thousands fed, taught, healed. It's exhausting, you know? Time for a little R&R, &R, undoubtedly they thought. And leaving the multitude, verse 36, they took him, they, the disciples, took him, the Lord, along with them, just as he was, in the boat. And other boats were with him. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that at this time, approximately 230 fishing boats regularly sailed across the surface of the Sea of Galilee in order to catch fish, 230, some of which are here described as being with the boat containing the Lord Jesus. Mark, who's writing this, is not going to tell us much at all about those other boats accompanying him. His focus of attention is on the one boat in which the Lord Jesus was. And so that will be our focus of attention this evening as well. All is peaceful and calm. There's nothing like it on the Sea of Galilee when all is at rest. You can see the sun 
setting on it. It's quite beautiful. There's some hilly, elevated areas surrounding it. It's a very beautiful time. Undoubtedly, the Lord's followers are expecting smooth sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Well, it doesn't quite happen that way. Verse 37, there arose, and it could be quite suddenly, a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. So you see the storm conditions I alluded to. The winds would come from the sea, and as they made their way through passes, through the mountains, dangerous downdrafts would victimize the Sea of Galilee, sometimes causing the waters therein to rise 15 or 20 feet. Storms, therefore, on it were not unusual at all. In fact, the Hebrew name Yam Kinneret alludes to the turbulent possibilities on the Sea of Galilee uh, because the word Yam comes from a Hebrew root word, root word meaning to roar. And that's what it would be like, Yam. The wind and the waves would roar and suddenly the peace and quiet would dissipate under the force of these powerful winds and waves. Well, storms on the Sea of Galilee would not normally take these seasoned veteran fishermen by surprise, but I'll bet you they were taken by surprise on this occasion. You see, they probably had the expectation that with Jesus in the boat, all would be smooth sailing, but that wasn't the case. They were shocked about it all. And he himself, verse 38, was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. Can you visualize it? And they awoke him and they said to him, he tolerates a lot. They said to him, Rabbi, teacher, they said to him, do you not care? Do you not care about our plight? Do you not care about us? Do you not care that we are... This is enfleshed incarnate deity who experienced the joy and satisfaction of unbroken fellowship with Almighty God, the great beyond, transcendent deity from before time. He reduced himself by taking on the flesh of humankind. Oh, he forfeited none of his divinity. He let it be masked with his humanity. And he came for me and for you. And we say, do you not care? He cares. He really cares. He was concerned. He heard their cry. But they didn't know him very well, did they? Yet. Do you? Do I? It's a growth experience, is it not? We grow. We grow. They didn't know him very well at present. And so we, like they, often wonder, listen... When something befalls us, which we think ought not befall us, if Jesus is with us, then in so many words we say the same thing, don't you care? We really think we know what's best. 
So when something comes our way, a trial, a hardship, a loss, I don't know, a diagnosis, which we think does not equate with the presence and goodness of God, we say too, don't you care? He cares. Oh yeah, he cares. Do you notice what aroused him from his sound sleep? The wind? No, slept right through it. The waves? Didn't get his attention. What aroused him was the cry of desperation from his own. It's like a mom in a crowded place who could hear the cry of her baby. No one else could distinguish it with all the tumult and noise and distractions. But the bond between mother and child prevails. <gasps> the baby is calling. Do you care? Oh, yeah. Waves don't get his attention. Wind doesn't get his attention. Cry for mercy, would you? Give him a shot. I dare you. Cry for mercy. And find out that the God of all mercy, he cares. He hears. He's deeply con He came because of your heart cry. He came to see you through the storm. He's all about that. Their anguished cry is what aroused him. In fact, he cares for us so much. We don't understand this. I don't. You don't. He cares for us so much that he wants us to grow. Indifference lets a so-called loved one be as he or she is. Love wants us to grow. He loves us so much that he wants us to grow. And he loves us so much. And he wants us to grow so much that he's even willing to direct us right smack dab into a storm if that's what it will take to cause us to grow. Welcome to the normal Christian life. It's stormy for sure. What's the purpose? Is it his desire to destroy us? No, it's his desire to develop us. Fess up, my fellow storm travelers. You and I do better in the storms of life. We cling to him voraciously for help. We, cry, we don't pray anymore. We cry out to God for help. When the wind and waves are about to overwhelm us, we pray like never before. We search his word like never before. We cry out to him like never before. The storm is not sent that they, we, might perish in it, but that our faith might be perfected in it. He loves us that much. He's that interested in us. He knew their faith. He knows our faith. And he knows our faith, their faith. Everybody's faith is most likely to fizzle when an unexpected storm of life befalls us. And so he intended to reveal himself to them in the storm much more clearly. You see, they saw the storm, but he wanted for them to see their Savior with them in the storm. Wow. Wouldn't that be something?
I couldn't come into service Sunday because uh, we, uh, some of us have responsibilities elsewhere around the church, but I had some time in my office and I could do what we're now able to do because of our wonderful media department. I could watch the service, at least the part of it I had time to watch, live, streaming something or other, they call it. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I think in this case, Mark Triplett and the, and the guys uh, uh, provided that for us. So, so, so I'm watching, and Brother John was preaching and made a most intriguing statement, which I hope I don't misrepresent, but I've been thinking about it a lot. I believe it's true, and it challenged my, my thinking. He said, the storms of life, I might, I might be using the wrong words here, uh, but, but something like the, the difficulties of life do not drive us closer to Jesus. We can't possibly be closer than we already are. When you accept him as Savior, you're as close then as you forever will be. He's in the boat. So I thought about that as I was, as I was reading this. I thought, well, I guess our pastor is right. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but what the storm is meant to do is not drive me closer to Jesus. It's... It's meant to give me a chance to see him right there, close, present, available with me, even in the storm of life. And so, being aroused, see by their cry, verse 39, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind said, no. No, 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 no. The only element in creation order that says no to creator is us. The wind said, yes, sir. And it died down and became perfectly calm. The storm was out of control. The disciples emotionally were out of control. But the Savior... Right there, present with them in the boat, was fully in control. Of course, he controls all that which he has created. Can you get that? Take, it, take that home. He controls all that he has created. Governments, economies, weather, people, near and far. He controls all that he has created. You can take that and go to sleep tonight peacefully. You don't. I don't. We don't have to. Go to sleep already, would you? Oh, some are doing so. (laughs) I meant later. He controls all that he has created. We don't have to worry about being... Hush, be still. Their Redeemer had authority over the winds and the waves. Their lives... They were finding out. We're not at the mercy of the cruel winds of fate. Oh, no. Their Savior was in control. The storm took them by surprise. It was unexpected. Oh, no. What are we going to do? We didn't expect this. We're not prepared for this. (gasps) Wait a minute. Jesus is in the boat. But, folks, I found out, have you, that Jesus in the boat does not mean we will not encounter storms. Jesus in the boat means we will not encounter storms alone. 
So here is the life lesson I'm choosing to derive tonight from the Sea of Galilee. I commend it to you. We may not have the absence of storms, but we will have the presence of Jesus. So I was reading uh, before um, our service began about the uh, medical condition of a man many of us are familiar with, O.S. Hawkins. Very influential man in our, uh, for those of you who maybe are new to vocabulary, let's call it our organization of congregations, the Southern Baptist Convention. See, if you join this local church, and what's keeping you? Then you join something much bigger than you, and he even joined something much bigger than us. You join a fellowship of like-minded churches that extends around the world in an instant when you say, I choose to be a member of Sagemont Church. I'm telling you, that's the way it is. So this man is a very influential leader in our organization of churches and has just recently received the diagnosis of prostate cancer. He will be uh, um, receiving surgery in September. Here's what he said. Uh, we, he and his wife, Susie, are receiving this as part of God's plan for our lives and are trusting him through it all. We are resting in the reality that this has not taken the Lord by surprise. Honestly, he said, my first thought was not why me, but why not me? Over the years, I have watched and prayed with and for so many friends who took the same journey. Now, it is my turn to beat out on the anvil of personal experience these biblical truths we all know to be real and relevant. We are abiding in his perfect peace during these days. We will be using these days to dig deep into the word and learn to trust in him even more. Brother O.S. Hawkins, giant, man of the faith, captivated by Christ, He's not immune to the storms of life. There's no such promise in the Bible. There's no such guarantee. But he has promised the presence of the Lord Jesus in the boat with him. And his short uh, quotation uh, uh, spews forth his sheer and utter trust, almost enthusiasm for what the Lord is going to do through this penetrating deepening, maturing, faith-testing experience. What happened to the other boats who were on that day with the Lord Jesus on the Sea of Galilee? I'm dying to know. I'll have to wait to ask him because Mark doesn't tell us. I know nothing about the destiny of the occupants of those other boats, but Mark's gospel does tell me that those in the boat with Jesus made it to the other side. (sighs) 
we may not have the absence of storms, but we are guaranteed the presence of Jesus with us in those storms. And the presence of Jesus guarantees growth and maturity. And the presence of Jesus is a promise that one day, one way into season, the outcome of it all is that we will arrive because of him safely on the other side of life. Richard Baxter was a Puritan theologian who, in speaking of the other side, heaven, we call it, said, my knowledge of that life is small. The eye of faith is dim. But it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. I'm encouraged. I'm so glad I know not to be so surprised even by the sudden and surprising storms of life. Diagnoses, losses, injuries, accidents. I don't know. But I'm so thrilled, aren't you? You are. <laughs> to know that with Jesus in the boat, it'll be good. It'll deepen our experience. <laughs> we'll see him to be right there all the time. We'll cling to him for blessing. We'll find freedom in our declaration of utter dependence on him. And we'll remind ourselves when it is all over. I'm not going under, and neither are you. <laughs> I'm going to make it safely across that even the turbulent wind and waves of life, as long as I'm in the boat with Jesus, I'm going to make it to the other side. Do you mind me saying to those of you who may not, could I put it this way, have Jesus in your boat? Do you mind me telling you You're in big trouble. You're lost at sea. You are subject to the seemingly arbitrary and whimsical winds of fate. You are mastered by what happens to you. Why not be mastered by the true master? But maybe you're wondering if he cares. Oh, yeah. He came. He took on flesh just like you to take your place on the cross. He cares. And we care enough to invite you, to invite him into the boat of your life tonight. You may need to admit, confess, I've tried to be the captain of my own ship. I'm lost at sea. You may want to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come into my boat. Forgive my sin. That's what separated me from you. Bless me with your 
presence and intimacy and love that will not let me go. Shape me, grow me, take an interest in my life. Make me to be more like you. Help me to have more and more confidence in you. Persuade me that you care. And I can't wait until by your grace and strength we make it to the other side. We really need to talk to you if Jesus is not in your boat. So I'm just going to pray that you wouldn't leave here without that conversation with one. We gather here at the end just to talk. That would be a great conversation, wouldn't it? Lord Jesus, this is a room filled with busy people. So much yet before each of us, the day's not over. And I bet we're a little weary by what has transpired already. Still, I pray you would so disturb uh, those who don't have you in the boat, who are pulling at the oars, uh, riding into the storm, seeking to do so in their own strength and running out of gas. I pray you would so disturb them lovingly that in spite of all other responsibilities before them tonight, they'd make their way up front here and say, tell me more about how I could make Jesus the captain of my ship. So, Lord Jesus, that has to be your doing, doesn't it? We're not able, so I pray you would constrain in the power of your Holy Spirit those who otherwise would leave here without you not to. We want to introduce them to you. You want to be introduced to them. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.